It's close to midnight, and we're going to be talking Thriller very soon. You hear the door slam. Hi, this is David Page of Toto, and you're listening to Rock of Nations with Dave and Shane. Hi everybody, this is Rob Halford. Rudy Sosa. Hi there, this is Steve Hackett. You folks are just Rick Emmett a triumph. And we're talking rock with Dave and Shane. Hey! It's great to, to talk with you again, you know. Um, yeah. You know, we always have a million Toto questions, and I think Michael Jackson and artists like that have always been intertwined. You know, Olivia Newton-John, Boss Gag, so many right. others, you know, Cheryl Lynn. Yeah. But we were looking at the calendar and, and saying, wait a minute, you know, it's the 40th anniversary of Thriller, Thriller. this yeah. month. Um, what do you think? I mean, does it feel like it's been that long? It does not. It seems like it was, I don't know, like two or three years ago. That's how it feels. You know, it's so fresh because uh, the images, you know what I mean? I can just remember all the sessions and stuff and uh and down at Westlake with Quincy Jones and Bruce Swedeen. And uh, one of the first sessions that I did was uh, The Girl Is Mine with Paul McCartney and Michael. Yeah. So uh, Paul was there with Linda and George Martin, the Beatles producer was there with Jeffrey Emmerich, the engineer, and Quincy was there with Bruce Swedeen. So it was quite an eclectic uh, uh, gathering of people, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was something I'll never forget. It was a magical, magical experience. How uh, crazy was it for you? as Because uh, you guys were essentially session guys, you know. Um, yeah. So you were doing Toto 4 around that time too, right? Like how did you, what was the scheduling like to work on Thriller, Toto 4, then I guess maybe any other projects you were doing? All these sessions were spaced out. When, you, when people do work on projects, they'll work on the rhythm tracks for a while. Then they'll take time off and start working on vocals. So were there big gaps in Toto 4 and, and also in Thriller? So there was oh, some overlap there, and uh, we were just doing, go, doing, going, doing sessions and doing Total Four and doing Thriller at the same time. You know. Yeah. Um, you so you know you you've talked in the past about Quincy just being a great arranger. You know a great arranger because of your dad Marty Page, of course. He's right. worked with so many icons. Um, so you take me back to like that first phone call. Was it, a, it that first call from Quincy and just kind of laying out him laying out what. Uh, this next Michael Jackson project was? Yeah, it was an email that we got that said, asked if I could be, uh, would participate being an arranger on the new Mark McCartney, uh, Michael Jackson song. And of course, the, the it was a, a definite yes, you know, and everybody was excited. Steve Lukather was excited. Jeff Percaro was excited. I know Steve, uh, Greg Fillingames was excited. He played on it too. And uh, it was just uh one of those magical uh, uh, experiences, and uh, everybody was was buzzing, you know, around, uh, going, "Wow, this is this is going to be an ex exceptional event," you know. Uh, so you walk in the room, and you know, it, it, like, is is everybody? What, what's the mood before a session? Are people, you know, is there a stress, or is it pretty easygoing? Sometimes you don't know because people aren't there yet, right? And you get a chance to get acclimate, say hi to the engineer and sit down and play a little bit. When I put, moved, pulled up into the room and walked into the room, they were all gathered around the piano because Paul was sitting at the piano. 
playing the song for everybody. And uh, I walked in and I saw George Martin, who I'd known and worked with before, and uh, uh, Quincy, Quincy and Swedeen and everything. And the first thing Quincy said was, Paul, get up off the piano and let David lay a groove down for you on this. And I was just so like, I was in shock. I was traumatized because Paul, I love Paul McCartney, the way he plays piano and he knows his songs better than everybody. So he got up I sat down and I started rehearsing the song, showing everybody out, you know, kind of like just playing through it and everything. So, uh, like I said, I remember everything. <laughs> how, how can you even like ha be able to come together and do that? Like, you know, Paul McCartney's getting up from the piano. I mean, I would yeah. forget everything almost at that point. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, yeah. it's a real, it's a real pinch me moment. You know, there's a lot of uh, those are some artists that live in rarefied air, as I say. You know, yeah. and uh, uh, I just had to go shake it off, shake it, shake off the fanboy, and uh, and get down to business. You know. Yeah. Um, how long did that session take, roughly? Not long at all. I think that uh, maybe three hours, you know, okay. yeah. one session. A lot of some of the session, about the first fifteen minutes, was a jam on a Stevie Wonder song uh, called uh, was, "I Was Made to Love Her." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I think it was "I Was Made to Love Her." Him and Paul, Paul okay. and Michael did a, like a duet, just mm. a jamming. We were just getting sounds. And they were both singing during this jam and we just kept playing it over and over. And it was, it was so exciting to hear them both ad libbing and, and at the top of their game, you know? Yeah. I was wondering if artists of that, you know, rarefied era, like you say, you know, I, I like that expression, you know, um, you know, if um, they're more comfortable, you know, by, I mean, like by themselves in a the studio or like in a different room, because I've heard different stories, but I guess it depends on, on who you're working with. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just certain artists, especially professionals and, and got people that are have been really around a long time and are used to anything and everything, they're the most comfortable to work with. And usually they have no problem walking in and out of the studio and out of the booth. You know what I mean? There's no yeah. restrictive areas. There's no uh, there's no boundaries. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was a tight kept room, though. Paul had two. Paul had an FBI an FBI guy there for his um, uh, bodyguard mm. and there, you know what I mean? So it yeah. was very quiet and there wasn't people around. I don't think people were allowed to mill or uh, from the, uh, any bystanders were allowed to come in mm. the session. I think it was a closed session okay. and uh, uh, it made it uh, real intimate and everything. So we could get to know the artist and uh, he got to know us and it was uh, really a lot of fun. Now you guys were all over. Um, it's essentially Toto on Human Nature. That was um, Steve's song, yeah. right? Yes. Um, and uh, was it the second track that you were involved with? Uh, I believe so. Yes, it yeah. was. And uh, again, that was a song that I had known Steve or Carl had been working on. We messed around with it at my house a little bit before uh, uh, he sent the demo to Quincy. And uh, uh, I got to play the little intro line, the that was my line. Steve haven't had the chords and, uh, we were just trying to make great, a great song and everything. And Quincy heard this and just flipped out and said, we got to redo it. So we went down to Westlake and we redid the uh, sequencers down there. I think, 
Uh, we could have done some of it at my house because I had a recording studio also, and they were sending tapes to us also to, to work at my house. So uh, wow. it was a it was a co collective effort. Yeah. Um, and so for you and, and uh, Jeff Picaro, uh, you know, Steve Lukather, you know, I mean, was this just a like I know you say pinch me moment was just a, this like an ultimate high working on, you know, that, these songs? Oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. It's the most fun you can have. And uh, uh, you got two serious artists here and two legendary artists that we respect. And nothing's more fun and uh, exciting than working for an artist that you respect that yeah. uh, uh, really knows their 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 game. And uh, uh, I think uh, we were all uh, uh, up for it, really up up for it in spirit uh, when we did it. Yeah, the album has such a live feel. You know, is that something yeah. that comes from? Is that like a training, or is it just the way everything was kind of done by back then? I think that. Um, it's a combination of both. I think that a lot of good musicians, the ones that end up being studio players, used to play to records a lot in their room. I know I did. I used to play to everybody's records. Mm. So you get used to playing with someone else's music. And that helps you when you get into Quincy Jones land, as I yeah. call it, <laughs> yeah. um, where Quincy likes to, he, I, I've seen and worked with Quincy when he's had a live orchestra there and live players. But when we started working with Michael Jackson, things started going on uh, separately. Uh, sometimes they'd cut a rhythm track and then each of the elements, components that they put on after would be individual and separate. So you'd be in a room. But if you're used to playing with uh, records and, and other people's music, you can sit in a room and recreate live because you're listening on a great sound system mm. and you're just playing like uh your sounds coming out your speakers so it's a it's training and a lot a lot of it has to do with experience and how many times you've done this was there a board a keyboard or a, like a synthesizer that you that was your go-to back then this was what 82 so was there like a go-to because I'm, I'm sure like you said you had the latest and greatest i imagine yeah there were three synthesizers in particular one was a cs uh a cs80 which is uh uh uh, a half component to Stevie Wonder's Dream Machine. He had a stereo CS80, which was a, a double-tiered uh, uh, one, and uh, uh, that was a Yamaha instrument. Also, uh, the GS1 was what G Greg Philogains played, which was like the um, uh, programmable uh, unit for uh, DX7s, which were the big boys at the time, the new synthesizer from Yamaha that came out and had all these killer sounds on it. They're called DX7s. So DX7s, GS1s, and CS80s were our go-to synthesizers. Wow. Oh, man. So awesome. And and I have to mention Oberheim, too, because that was on the sequence mm. that uh, we did for Human Nature. Okay. Now, you guys are doing this. This is all tape, right? So, are they, I mean, I'm trying to imagine the process today of, like, cutting where you have to cut it was li literally that physical labor it's not i mean everything digital now you know it's you can cut a right. bot you can put a mouse here click on it stop something right um right what was that process like uh how tedious was it um it's not too tedious uh especially when you have professionals in the studio right. you know it's it, we just make fine adjustments it's almost like a a football team you know you have a plan you have a a, a, a blueprint which is the arrangement out there. And you just kind of make fine uh, fine tune adjustments because everybody already knows how to play the song. 
because yeah. everybody's a pro. We've heard, we've heard like the little demo and everything like that. Yeah. So uh, uh, it was it's pretty pretty painless and a lot of fun. But you have to be experienced at doing this and have to have training and uh, be very very focused. Yeah. Now I know you said you, you knew these songs were good. You know when you heard them. Fair to say, yeah. but uh, you know yeah. when you're learning them. Was there any idea that this was, you know, this record would be, you know, best-selling of all time, that, you know, 40 million records at the time, right? I think 70 million cents, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think anybody knew it was going to be the iconic uh, album of the century that uh, that it ended up being. And, uh, uh, but uh, um, everybody knew it was something special because yeah. once he'd come off, come off, of off the wall with Michael, they had done that, and that was a pretty great album, you yeah. know. But this album here, Michael wanted every song to be a killer uh, song on this album here. So uh, he brought in, they brought in everybody that was anybody who was a session player, and and he had Quincy had a large stable, and uh, he just went for it. You know what I mean? We get the right people to play the right stuff with Quincy Jones. That's his. Uh, um, uh, one of his fortes is recruiting the right people mm. and casting the right people at the right job. So, like, was this, uh, I mean, th this feels like a, you guys are forever linked. I mean, you knew all these session players before, obviously, you know, your bandmates in Toto and right. guys like Greg Philigans, and it's, it must be a small community, but to be yeah. forever tied on, on a record like this, you know, yeah. it just, yeah. it yeah. has to be pretty amazing. It was, it's like the, the MVP, uh, 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 football awards kind of thing. It's the elite of the elite were in there. So everybody kind of knew what everybody was doing, you know, mm -hmm. you have, you know, you have Jeff Picaro and drums, you know, playing and Lukather played on beat it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, they killed, uh, they killed that. And, uh, uh, it's just great when you have, everybody's on the same, uh, wavelength and level. Uh, playing it makes it a lot easier because then you can get right to the subtle the subtle fine points of uh the music at hand look at they were saying um he came up with like the the one part da, 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 like he came up with that back part of the that da, da, something like that i think uh at least that's i remember him laying that it, out yeah, beat yeah i beat it yeah that's all Lukather. the only thing ed van halen did and it i love eddie Van Halen yeah. and one of Lukather's best friends. And uh, he did the he, only thing he did was the solo. Lukather played all the rhythm guitar and all the bass, and Jeff played the drums. And that's essentially the whole record. Hey, this is Steve Lukather from Toto. Like Michael Jackson, I think, called you. I, I read in your book, The Gospel According to Luke, and you didn't, yeah. you didn't believe it was him. That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I kept hanging up on him, telling him to fuck <laughs> off because, I mean, who calls people at eight o'clock in the morning in 1982? You know, <laughs> I had just gone. I had just gone to bed for fuck's sake. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I got a call from Quincy's office around ten, going, "Hey, um, that really was Michael. You should probably call him back." <laughs> and I went, "Really?" Because then I had grilled him. I was like, "Oh yeah, you're Michael Jackson, and then you must know so and so, blah blah blah." I don't know, man. Who the fuck? One of, which one of my fucking idiot friends is this? You know. <laughs> and, and he yeah. just goes, hey, 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 people say that all the time. I'm going, fuck you. You're not Michael Jackson. Yeah, you really want to. I go, like, Quincy Jones' office would call me, not Michael Jackson.
<laughs> yeah, you grilled him on his music and who he worked with. Oh, yeah, who's in his band? Then you must know David Williams. And, you know, he's a guy, famous guitar player who passed away. Well, you know, he played the guitar in Billy Jean and shit. You know, yeah. he was a funky motherfucker. Great cat. Yeah. Good yeah. friend. Uh, and you know, and he, and, you know, he said, "Yeah, I do. He's in my band." You know, <laughs> you know, it was really pretty funny. And then, you know, <laughs> How did you balance all that? You've got the band that's taken off. You're doing all this. I didn't know any other stuff. way, man. I made it work, man. Jeff McCall could do it. Fuck it, I can make it work. Yeah. I mean, he was my hero. You know, he was the guy that everybody wanted to be. Man, he's the coolest guy in the room, mm. always. Yeah. And I learned a lot just being around him. You know. And how he, you know, how to be a session guy, how to act, how to fucking do, how to charge, how to do this. And you know, he was the baddest motherfucker in the studio ever. And you know, I was on a lot of records with Jeff. You know, right. So you know, I was thrown in the deep end. and I had to swim. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Best times of my life. Really, I look back on it with such affection and 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 being so grateful that I was able to be one of those guys, you know, the last of the so-called great session men who would show up not knowing what we were going to do every day or who yeah. we were going to work for yeah, or what kind of music we were going to play. No demos or any idea. You better just show up and be able to play something, you know. What are you going to play when it says G, E minor, A minor, D, you know. Is there a moment with, with you and Jeff in the, in the studio that just stands out in your mind as just being that, that great Every, we just had a blast every time. I mean, there's so many. I can't really pick yeah. one, you know. It's impossible. Talking about thousands of sessions, you know. I mean, he's, I don't I even remember half of them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, uh, the famous ones stick out, but we made a lot of records that weren't famous, you know. Some were great. Some weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, man, when Paul McCartney yeah. walks into the room with Michael Jackson and all these Quincy and all this shit, you sit in the room going, God, I'm re am I really in all this? You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and what was that I mean, like I, I, I mean Ringo's a really close friend of mine. I mean, you know, FaceTime three, four times a week and shit, you know. I never thought that would ever happen, you know. He's one of the most beautiful cats I've ever met in my life. He's just yeah. a magical human being. And he really is that guy. Nothing fake yeah. about him at all, man. Most yeah. real cat I've ever known. What were those sessions like with Paul McCartney and, and working? They were, uh, they were magical. They were great, you know, just hanging out, you know. Just getting to hang with Paul, you know. We got, he invited us to go, you know, be in a movie with him, and we really yeah. got to hang out a lot, you know, ask him all this, you know, and I got to be friends with George Harrison, and he played with us live for Jeff when Jeff passed, and, you know, we got to be friends, and, he played me free as a bird before it came out and shit like that. You know, I mean, I've had some really unbelievable moments. Do you feel like you're in a vastly different place? I was wondering, like, you know, when bands, like there's some bands out there that, um, you know, it's the same three guys and they, they change a singer and then it's a, a different band, you know, and, right. and, I, and sometimes the identity feels very different. But for you guys, I mean, because you're all, you were all so close, I think Lukather said there were only like 20 guys or so who did like a lot of that session stuff back then. And you guys That's were right. part of that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it must have just been like another in some ways did it feel like just another jam and another hangout you know with different material it, it kind of does it felt yeah. like a community and we'd go from one studio to the other and a lot of them felt like we were jamming on sometimes you know what i mean yeah. just jamming and playing but uh there was a lot of uh uh diverse uh music 
uh, being played by those particular guys. Because they're, like I said, from LA here, when you have the cream of the crop in LA here, you guys can, can adapt very quickly to new music. So we'd see each other, you know, and some of the, uh, the most fun times would be getting sounds on the instruments so we could play whatever we wanted to. Yeah. And some of the most unique jams and, and re sessions music came out of just playing for the engineer while we're jamming for a while. Probably usually had nothing to do with the song yeah. whatsoever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where, where does that come from to be able to play so many different types of, of music? Is it just, well, it's, it's obviously from being just a pro musician like yourself. Yeah. Um, is it, I mean, other forms of music like Toto, you know, you're known for so many different styles, um, kind of a fusion mixture. Um, is it harder to pick up, you know, to approach some styles at first versus others, or does it just, it's, there's a sort of universal language with music. Yeah, there is, but you've got to really go after it and focus on learning these different, it's multi-genre uh, industry. And uh, so you've got to learn a little bit of country, what country music, you got to know have a solid blues background. You have to have a little classical music background so you can sight read, and uh, it would helps to know jazz too if you can. A lot of jazz players got used to get called and stuff. And uh, I think that you just have to be well rounded, and that takes experience playing with play with as many bands, different kinds of bands as you can, yeah. you know, and different kinds of songs. So you can get used to the how the authentic authenticity of of the real people that play those genres, uh, you can kind of capture that spirit. How uh, how much of that came from your dad, Marty? I mean, he worked with you know the great Velvet Fog, of course. Um, yeah. So oh my gosh, so many others. The list goes on and on. I mean, how um, what was it like watching him approaching arrangement and 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 you know what did you kind of learn from it was, him? it was amazing it was kind of like quincy jones when you see him conducting where are the world there you know that's what my dad did for a living like every month there was a session with a full orchestra and usually a singer like sammy davis jr or ella fitzgerald and he used to work with uh, spiritual singers like mahalia jackson yeah. and stuff you know she sang at uh, 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 uh dr king's uh a funeral, you know, yeah. and she was working with my dad right at that same time right there. So uh, he was involved in lots of different kinds of music, styles of music. And uh, especially when he got to the Glenn Campbell show, when he was musical director, uh, there was just every kind of artist came through. So I got learned my got a lot of my training off the Glenn Campbell show, because I sat next to uh, session player Mike Lang. Okay. Who's a legendary section session player who just passed away uh, last month. Mm. And uh, I play, I have a song on my album called Lucy that uh, Mike plays the piano solo on. I play the head on it and Mike plays the solo. Wow. So uh, I used to sit next to him and watch him go through all these genres of country, classical, jazz, uh, cocktail music. I mean, you, you name it and he played it. And I was able to see uh, how you approach these different kinds of music from a professional standpoint. It was like having my own YouTube channel yeah. there at the wow. same time, you know. You know, one of the things when we do the show, we just we marvel at you know the experiences you've had because it's you know I mean, first you grew up in that golden era, and then you know with your dad, and then you you were part of it yourself. I mean, is it? Do you feel like? I mean, why does it feel like in some ways we just don't have that anymore? I mean, that's not. I'm not knocking any of the musicians out now, but right. what what what's the? Is it just? 
what's different? I'm trying to think. Is it is it the technology that makes it so much more convenient to produce ver- and 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 play versus just you know that organic nature? You know, yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? I just I don't know. It's I like do. Those, I, those, it does yeah. make sense. There's a certain thing that happened with before all the technology happened where people had to get in and play together to get a track. You had to play four people to get a rhythm track or five people. Uh, it was very hard to do overdubs and stuff yeah. before the technology came in. You had to rent a studio, recording studio, and get a recording engineer. And that cost money, or you had to make borrow time from people and do favors and stuff, you know, yeah. uh, to get studio time. Because it was only, those things could only be done in a studio uh, that are done on laptops now, where people are mixing and have unlimited tracks. Before you had only like, uh, you know, you start with the Beatles doing four tracks. And you go to eight tracks, 16 and 24. And now you have today, you have unlimited amount of tracks, all these plugins for, so you don't have echo units. This, the virtual w- world is, is something amazing, but it allows everybody to be on a professional level. You know what I mean? Because yeah. of the, uh, the samples involved, uh, which used to take, that used to take time to get those kind of sounds on instruments sometimes yeah. for days. And, uh, so. I think there's a little bit less playing p- people performing together. Uh, th- uh, there's less of that now. Yeah. I think everybody works individually in their own homes on their little laptops. You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to being having the organic thing of getting the getting the sounds up and and, and micing things. You know, I think there's yeah. less microphone uh, instruments acoustic acoustically uh, mic'd. But, there, but then again, you have these great samples. Even I use the samples, and uh, and sometimes they're uh, they're to, they're they're like LSO samples from Abbey Road. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, there's some fantastic sounds out there, you know, which is why the the sounds of records I think have been elevated. And you see here a lot of people producing great sounds and great music. Yeah. Um, when you guys have been doing the Players Club, I mean, Steve did. I found this out again, that record, I think, last year. You had uh, Forgotten Toys this year. And I think you both have talked about just live. I mean, you know, you you look at the chart, you run the chart, and then you just go. And yeah. did, did you find that organic nature again? I guess you – or did you guys – you guys never really stopped recording that way, did you? Well, yeah. We, we – I mean, we um, we made Africa that way. Right, yeah. We did oh. Africa that way, which is piece of one, one piece at a time right here yeah. and one element at a time here. So we've been used to doing that, and we were expect, section, exceptionally well trained at doing it for ourselves, you know, because we were used to putting on on people one at a time. After after we uh, like Rosanna, we cut live, okay, yeah. that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hold the line, we cut live, you know, those kind mm-hmm. of things. Georgie Porgy, and uh, so uh, uh, you get the feel quicker, I think uh with the people that you're cutting live with you know and uh again it's just a process of whether you're uh uh working with a group of people and playing which you know have to know how to play and have experienced sitting in with people a lot Mm -hmm. because uh you can't just uh stop the tape stop like you do with your working on computer and just work piecemeal at a time you have to work do the whole three minute song over and over and you can't make mistakes Right. Or you got to fix them, you know. You basically have to get sick of it, right? <laughs> you got to get sick of it. You got to get sick of it, and then you, you go do. back. Yeah, 
Yeah, you yeah. do. You gotta, you gotta find a, you gotta keep a fresh approach to it every time you hear it, even though you've heard it hundreds of times. Yeah. See, I always wonder how you do that. I mean, when you go on the road too. I, I mean, you know, bands when they rehearse and so yeah. I always wonder how do you keep that fresh? How do you, you know, because um, you know, especially when you got maybe three shows a night, and that's you know, that's not even the rehearsal and and everything else. Right. Yeah. That's uh, you know, you that's the challenge of being a professional is yeah. bringing something new to it every night and trying to keep it fresh. And you have to kind of imagine to yourself, wow, this is the first time I'm playing this live and the crowd reaction is really good yeah. to it, you know, and maybe change a little note here or change a little note. It's funny when you play songs over 20 and 30 years, you start finding the other little parts that you may yeah. have come up with if you'd spent uh, uh, a year uh, playing the song. But we didn't never spent that much time before we recorded them. We just would learn them instantaneously and record them. That's mm -hmm. the 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 great uh, 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 thing that I had with a juggernaut uh, called Toto. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Just having a, a band that can play anything quickly. Yeah. You know. You know. Talk about the luxury. Uh, I was the luxury was the word I was looking luxury, for. Luxury. Yeah. Uh, talk about like. Um, Jeff for a minute if you will because uh, I mean his that that backbeat that that swing I mean he had something that you hear it on so like yourself millions I mean so many not millions it feels like it so many tracks so many hits what was his what was it like watching him play what was his kind of style would you describe his style and his his approach his approach was came out of I'd have to say the jazz world which is something that separates Jeff from a lot of other drummers. A lot of drummers you hear today are rock drummers. Essentially, they've learned on rock and roll, and they play rock and roll. Jeff played, learned how to play jazz before he played rock, mm. and his dad was a jazz drummer. So he has this finesse, and when I say finesse, I mean the touch, a light touch uh, when he plays. So it looks effortless, you know, yeah. when he's playing Rosanna, he can play that. He would just play it effortlessly as opposed to thinking like it's an exercise and you got to really chop away at the wood there, you know? Yeah, you yeah. You play it like it was just like a a, a, a mantra, you know? He just practice it and play it. So it got to be second nature. And uh, he, was a, he was fun to watch because he did these exceptional things and unique, uniquely, unique beats uh, that no one did and did them effortlessly on songs. And so uh, um, Jeff was the ultimate drummer to me. He was my favorite drummer. Yeah. Yeah, you hear it on Toto stuff. You hear it on, I mean, gosh, you hear it on so much and, and yeah, all over Thriller. And I, I just feel like, man, I mean, that groove and, and it's hard like to find, I mean, that's a signature sound too. Like that's a sound yeah. that, that yeah. artists today try to sample. I mean, they, they, they try to, to create with computers, like that very sound. That's right. Like, it's that's it's right. amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard. It's hard because, uh, the shuffle is probably the, the most uh, sought after uh, uh, equation that musicians go after. Steely Dan's been going after it for years, trying to get a, a drum machine to, to, to shuffle along good and, uh, and just trying to get shuffle tracks. And, and uh, uh, you just can't get a program exactly the way a Jeff Percaro plays, yeah. you know, like uh, Ros Rosanna, you know that or oh, lowdown or Lido, you know, he has all these fantastic intros that I always just, uh, I used to turn to him. He was my go-to wingman and say, Jeff started off and then we'll jump in, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So t- take me to like when Thriller comes out. I mean, what's what's the mood like at that time when that first hits the market? And and everybody's real. Everybody's real excited because we know it's going to be. We know it's going to be a big come out of the box big. Yeah. Okay. So everybody's waiting for Halloween to come for the cut Thriller to come to see what else they're going to what else jumps out on the radio besides that because Michael used to he used to put his money into his singles and make these videos so you knew what was coming up next you know yeah Uh, and Quincy Jones is very good at helping pick singles because he goes demographically uh by you know what I mean who who's who's uh what kind of music is in this area and what kind of people are trending toward this thing here he was back to the Quincy's very involved in the science of music as mm. well as just the soul part of music. You know, he believes in the mechanical, you gotta have the technology and you have to have the 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 knowledge to do the stats and all the, uh, uh, you know, mindful eye watching of all the charts and uh, trying to keep uh, uh, up who, who's who's ahead of who here on the top 100, you know? So uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a fun, it's an exciting science, it's an exciting medium and, uh, Everybody was just watching, talking about Thriller. It was this whole buzz, just talking like you're on a, it's just like when you're on a winning team, uh, you know, of something, and you were part of that team that got it there, you know, and you just see it climbing and climbing and climbing. It gives everybody uh, this collective spirit, uh, this collective uh, great vibe uh, for all who participated in it. Yeah, it was so great to the spacing out of singles, and that, and maybe that's just part of the era. I mean, I remember a little bit of that maybe in the '90s, and then once digital or once well once the internet hit, you know, you drop an album, and then there it is, and the next thing you know, they move people move on to you know something right. else. But like, was it? I mean, I to keep an album fresh like that must have been really awesome. You know, just you know, you space it out to. I mean, Michael Jackson, it's you guys too. I mean, you, you one album you could have hits for two years off of it. Yeah, I mean, it was like number one for 37 weeks, I think. Yeah. Uh, the Thriller album, something like that. It was on the charts. And uh, it, it had it had a lot shelf life uh, of a couple of years, at least. You know what I mean? It still has a shelf life. And uh, it's an amazing, iconic album. And I, I, I relate that to not only Michael, but Quincy. Quincy uh, was, was a big uh, catalyst in that whole thing as mm. well as michael you know yeah. and i think the two of them teaming up together was just a magical combination you know reminds yeah. me of uh, george martin and paul mccartney yeah <laughs> yeah right and, and then and you saw both of that that's you, i you saw both saw of, all them, of it know, yeah in, in the same room you know yeah but very much like that yeah did radio help too because i feel like radio and i mean i'm a confession i was born in 82 so <laughs> forget <That's okay. laughs> but um but was radio more, um, seems like it was, it wasn't as, um, you know, there weren't so many niches sort of, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it, it, like you could hear Aretha Franklin one minute and then you could hear um, Toto, the, Michael Jackson, the next, and then Journey or something. Was it kind of like that? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was starting to get away from that. I mean, there, there was, there was, it's funny that you were born in 1982. That's when Africa was big. Yeah. And, Thr- and Thriller was big. Yeah, know, it's a great year. Day, <laughs> a great year. And uh, I think that, uh, um, I kind of forget what your question was. Oh, just like, um, did rate, like, um, how much of, of the, that current state of radio was a help in in opening up 
you know, singles to major audiences, you know, because you, you didn't, I don't know if you had as many stations back then, but it seemed like radio was just more open. Yeah. Radio was more open and you had, uh, you, Quincy said you had to do events on your, on your albums, like have a McCartney be with Michael Jackson to do it. And he goes, that was all uh, premeditated and thought out to help market the record and everything. So we could go on, uh, pop stations as well as uh, R&B stations, you know? So Quincy was thinking very broad and uh, diverse, you know? And so, but like you said, I think it was it was more, here's a rock station, here's an R&B station, and here's your pop stations. Where now there's just, there's so many uh, uh, genres that are isolate this music that you don't hear, you know, you don't hear, uh, hard rock you don't hear a, a a sly in the family stone currently or an r&b stuff on a rock station right you know right yeah. now so it's got a little more uh, uh i want to say not segregated but uh uh just individualized yeah what, what do you listen to these days and, and how do you listen do you listen on like the spotify's and digital or you, are you yeah, vinyl guys? i listen on the race i listen on a lot on the radio i have my i'm always tuned into the beatles channel on sirius radio oh yeah but i like to listen to uh i like to listen to good singers you know i like the way adele sings i love oh, bruno mars you know i love pink you know and uh, those are artists uh, i'd love to work i work with pink on a on a song called trouble and uh, oh yeah yeah yeah, I played the organ solo on that. Nice. So, um, uh, uh, but I love to work with Adele, and I love to work with Bruno Mars. You know, I think they're they're fantastic talents, and they have these just uh, to kill for voices. You know, yeah. I think you know Bruno Mars. I can't say enough great a thing about him. Ta- his talent reminds me of Michael's that kind of talent. You know what I mean? In one person. Yeah. You know? That'd be amazing. I can only imagine what you'd, you'd come up with with Adele and, and Bruno Mars. I mean, they're both fantastic and they're so yeah. creative. And oh man, yeah. that'd be yeah. that'd be yeah. awesome to see like artists who you know, I mean, who come up and just th- they have the the passion that maybe you had back then. I mean, do you yeah. you kind of see yourself in them in a, in a way? I do, I do. I see them, uh, and I have to remind myself, going, "Hey, do you remember back? Don't forget when you were an undergraduate, like they are, and." Uh, and learning how and, and how exciting it was when you first got your first Grammy or your first gold record and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. And uh, kids, I think there's still that uh, exuberance and, 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 and passion, passion that still drives these uh, young kids. And it's so great to see them, uh, uh, the ones who do their homework and uh, have a res- little bit of respect for the past know who the Beatles are, know who James Brown was, you know, yeah. know all the Motown songs, you know, are familiar with those. And I think it's, uh, I think there's a bright future, you know, for uh, uh, music, for kids that are growing up. There are a lot, a lot more kids are studying music, I think now, because of, uh, and the fact that YouTube exists, uh, you're able to, uh, they're able to gain firsthand knowledge there. Yeah, I love seeing that you know, various covers, video covers, or um, just, uh, you know, and I'm just amazed. There's like, you know, like Steve, look at their one said, there's like a 14 year girl who can play, you know, just as fast, you know, maybe even faster. Right. You know? But like, how, but I imagine they sit and they study, you know, they yeah. kind of like how you guys did with the records, you know, back yeah. then. Amazing. And, but there's, there's now, I learned because I was able to sit next to that person and watch how they played it. Right. 
because a lot of times when you hear something, the way it sounds is not, it looks totally different on, on the instrument you're playing. I would think, oh, I, I think it's this what they're playing and I watch it and it's something totally different. And so I think with the advent of YouTube and instructional videos that people like Steve Lugather put out stuff to show you how to play this stuff, I think that's uh, accelerated uh, the, uh, the learning curve uh, for all these young musicians. Yeah, man, man. So awesome. Uh, and I love that you're still, you know, you're still inspired in what you're doing. I mean, obviously, for Forgotten Toys is a great example of that. It's, orga it's just organic. Yeah. It's that live feel. Um, are, are you always writing yourself or do you just kind of like, are you always in a creative space or does it just. I always have music going on in my head. Yeah. And it's usually something, sometimes it could be something that I've written. Sometimes it could be something I've heard on the radio, but can't quite place. And other times it'll be just new music that I'm dreaming up in my head, you know, that I'm trying to amplify. Right now, I'm working on an interesting, interesting project. I'm working with uh, Rochester uh, School of Music, uh, okay. School of Music, and they're starting a division of vocalists there that sings with orchestras, and they're using my father's arrangements as curriculum wow. there. So we just had a concert. They just had a concert, and they're going to keep doing it with different various vocalists and pulling out my dad's old charts with. These singers, there's a singer called Tony Harper, one called Gloria Lynn, and of course everybody knows Lena Horne and Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, people like Mel Torme and stuff like that are gonna get a chance to sing with the actual arrangements, you know, that my dad did here. So they're teaching that there. So it's fun to give back and to to pay forward, you know, I mean some of the uh experiences that I've had. Oh, and that's gotta be incredible. That's your dad right there. I mean, that's yeah. gotta be yeah, you know, that's so much fun. Yeah. There's so much uh, uh, deep uh, content and and and, and uh, legacy there. You know. Yeah. Do you have some of the older uh, gear that you used back during the thriller days, the early Toto stuff? Do you still have like how you know, or or maybe it's in a warehouse or something? What you mean, like like like, key, like keyboards or pianos, things like that? I, we I have a bunch of keyboards. I just sold a bunch of keyboards though okay. because. We had just been collecting keyboards oh, yeah. <laughs> and not using them. So we went through the keyboards that we don't use anymore okay. and got rid of a bunch of stuff. Uh, we have tapes. We have all the tapes of all the total masters we've done. We have copies of them in a big warehouse. So I have hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of mixes and tapes and, and video and all this kind of stuff. So we just, we just moved buildings and it was a big move. I and bet. so we're, uh, we're uh, kind of, uh, processing that right now and trying to digitize some of the things i, I bet that's a process <laughs> i yeah. bet yeah um, well david man this has been amazing it's always well been i always love being interviewed with you <laughs> oh. you know i feel like someone i felt like you're someone i grew up with you know you, oh my god that, that, wow because that's you like, know that's you know all the, you're so comfortable and know all the all the people you know uh, well, thank you. I mean, that that's an honor. That's like a, a high yeah. honor. Thank you so much. I mean, I, so I just, since you mentioned the Velvet Frog, yeah. I wanted you to know if you noticed that on Lucy, that James Torme, his son, is singing, is scatting on that. I didn't know that. End. Yeah, that's wow. I brought James Torme in to okay. sing oohs and ahs, but he also, right after the piano solo, I start soloing, and his, he's scatting, having a little conversation with me. I so gotta just, listen to that. Uh, since you Again. mentioned the Velvet Fog, we yeah. dedicated we dedicated that to Mel and my father. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Oh that's awesome. I, I'm gonna play that again. I'm gonna play oh, all that. Great. That's awesome. Do. I will, Please absolutely. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, David Page, thank you so much for your time, man. I, hey, thank very you. Very grateful. And I just want to say thanks to you and all of our friends and fans and family out there that have supported us all these years. We wouldn't be anything without our, our fans out there and our, our the music lovers out there. So uh, we're very blessed and we're very grateful for all the uh, support that we've gotten all these years. Hey, it's, it's well earned. You guys are the best. The best. Thank of the you. Best. Let's do Absolutely. it again. Well, you got it. Okay? We'll do. Absolutely. Thank you. Anytime David. you want. Anytime you want, you can get a hold of me. Okay. You got it. We'll do. You got it. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, my brother. Yeah. yeah.